Welcome to the Not All Love and Light podcast. I'm your host, Romy Moreno, and today we have Kendra Geronimo with us. Um, Kendra is a sex trafficking advocate, and she's also self-defense instructor. So welcome, Kendra. I'm so happy to have you here today to share your story and, and to let people know what it is that you're doing to help this humanity, because that's what you're doing, helping humanity. Uh, it comes through education and spreading that message. So as many avenues as I can get to push the message, that's really what it's about. That's awesome. Well, I want to, you know, talk a little bit about your story and how did you get here? Like what drove you to get to this place where this becomes something that you're so passionate and you're fighting nonstop. Like I see your posts and you're just like, I will never shut the fuck up when it comes to this shit. And I'm all for it. Good. What? Oh my God. I lost like 2000 followers. People never see my page anymore. I don't actually have to go to your page to see your shit. And then like you have to type in the whole name and then like, I'll be among the list versus like when you would type in H U S T, it would Mm -hmm. pop up immediately. But the more podcasts I started doing about sex trafficking, the more my page got shadow banned. You know what's crazy? That the pages that need to be shadow bans are not, but everything that has to do with like sex trafficking, you know, pedophilia and all of that shit, it's like, oh, you know, fat checkers, fat yeah, checking. I'm sure because they're all in on it. Of course. <laughs> That's a whole other rabbit hole that we could get into, but mm-hmm. let's just, you know, <laughs> let's go back to what we were talking about and, and talk about how it is that you got here. I grew up in a split family home. Um, My dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. Um, Looking back now, I see like a lot of the characteristics that I had that kind of led into that. I had a a troubled home. I was emancipated at 15, homelessness. Um, I finally got on my feet on my own. I had like my own apartment. I was working in a nightclub. And that's when my trafficker kind of entered in the club and was kind of propositioning people. And I, I had always heard about what traffickers were, pimps. Back then, there was no no such thing as traffickers. It was just pimps. Right. This happened like 15 years ago. Um, so the pimp came up to me. And, you know, there's a lot of glorification in the industry of pimps and girls like that. So it was just not for me. So I shot him down, hard no, kind of very loud about it. And um, then he sent two of his girls in. And I didn't know they were with him. And they, hey, you know, let's go to Miami. I was living in Orlando. And they're like, let's go for New Year's. And it was just very glitz and glam. You know, living in Orlando, Miami is like that nightlife and money everywhere, you think. And so you had never been to Miami. Never, never. Mm-hmm. So I went to Miami that night. And they were like, okay, ride with us. And I was like, no, I'm specifically taking my car. So I took my car and then we went out, we had a drink. Um, They brought, we were all like standing outside watching fireworks and stuff. So they brought me a drink, the two girls. And I took the drink and I started to feel like a little nauseous. And I was a pretty heavy drinker back then. So it's not something that should have affected me. And after that, I blacked out. And like, I still wonder, like, how did you get me from where I was to a moving van? Because when I woke up, I was in a moving van. And I was laying like right next to the driver's side. And I looked up and I saw the pimp that I had just told no. And he puts his gun in my face and he's like, all right, no problems, right? We're not going to have any problems. And I said no and immediately like kind of went into that fight or flight situation. Like, all right, like, what do I do from here? And when he came up to you, like, what is it that he asked you? Like, he was just like. If I wanted to make some real money, you know, he could show me how to make money better than what I was making. Did I want somebody to take care of me? Did I want someone to show me the world? Since, you know, I was living in Orlando and he was like, oh, Miami. I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go to Miami. But when I realized, you know, what he was propositioning me, I was like, oh, no, 
you know, I'm good. I'll make it to Miami on my own, however. So I think, you know, he went back to the drawing board on how do I get this girl? None of these things are of her interest. None of these things are, you know, catching her attention for me. So I'm going to do it another way. I'm going to send these girls in and these girls are going to not say they're with me. And were those girls like also like he was their pimp? Yeah. Okay. So you were around these girls after? Yes. Wow. That must have been very difficult. Well, they were very much um, Stockholm Syndrome. They were very much brainwashed. There was one of them who you could tell clearly that she had like a constant state of depression where it was like, I guess she felt like that was all she deserved and that there was no like effort to leave because, you know, he provided for her and that's all she deserved. And then the rest of them were just yeah, gun ho motivated. This is this, yeah, this is, the is the life the for me. Mm-hmm. But you can tell they were also groomed because it's not it, it wasn't a conducive lifestyle. He he brainwashed them and they thoroughly believed it was their own thought. You know, it got to the point that when he actually got arrested later on down the line, they had a petition going for him to keep him out of jail. They went to the news, everything. Yeah. I mean that could happen with I, I've heard it a lot, even like with um clients that I've had in the past that have had um, sexual trauma that they even, for example, the sexual trauma started at a very young age and they know that this is wrong. This doesn't feel right, whatever, but they've grown so much attached to their abuser that once they're at a certain age, the abuser doesn't want them anymore because they're a pedophile that likes younger Mm-hmm. you know, children. And once they kind of abandon them, the person goes through a whole other set of like depression, like I'm not worthy. This person doesn't want me anymore. So yeah, that really does happen. And people don't realize. And so then growing up, you start thinking that there's something wrong with you. Like I'm so fucked up because how can I, I want the attention of this person that's doing such harm to me, but yeah, it's but a very point, real you thing. Realize you're doing right. Harm, right. You know? It's a very real thing that happens. Nowadays they call it trauma bonding. I'm not a fan of the, the topic, like the name though, like trauma bonding, I feel like is like if we almost went through a car crash, we were trauma bonded. That's in a sense how I feel. We went through something traumatic together, but I, I, as a, as a previous victim, I wouldn't want to ever say I was bonded to somebody that I shouldn't have been with in the first place. Well, trauma bonding, um, like my definition of it, like what I've learned is, is like, for example, like if you have a certain type of trauma about something and let's say it happens a lot in relationships, like you, you meet this person that is exciting and, and they get your, your nervous system excited and you get really attached to them. And the only reason you think it's love and you start like, you know, fantasizing this whole life with them. But the reason why is because there's something about that person that's triggering a past trauma that makes you feel like this is home. This is what I'm used to. This is what I want. So that's like what I understand trauma bonding is. They also use the term in sex trafficking as mm-hmm. the relationship that you have to your kidnapper, to your trafficker. And I don't agree uh, with that. Like I no. believe your answer, I believe the one I yeah. said, be, you know, where there's an initial bond and we're further bonded by trauma. But to tell me that I bonded with someone that took me is just... It's unfathomable. So when I teach my seminars, I definitely don't use that. I I address what it is, what it's for, and I give my victim perspective on it. Because like when I do law enforcement trainings, it's important that they know all sides. Like I'm just one style of victim. You know, there's there's people who, like I said, they get, you know, brainwashed into it. They get taken. They get befriended into it. There's so many different ways that cops should know the lingo and what the what would re-trigger somebody also so that they don't do that. Right. I didn't know that. That's that's great for, for a lot of people to know and understand that and your perspective on it as well. Um, so after you woke up, 
Where were you taken? Where did you go? As soon as he took me from Miami, we went to Tampa and then straight up to South Carolina. So in like two days, I was halfway across the country. Wow. And no one knew where you were? You were just gone? No, I lost my apartment. I lost my car. I lost everything in my apartment. My family actually took out a missing persons report on me as well. And how long were you gone for? Three months. And how did you get out? So it was like, you know, chestnut checkers. Like you want to make sure that you're leaving at the right appropriate moment because there's also that mental hold where they have your ID, they threaten your family, they threaten, you know, you, uh, if they have evidence on you or they have something damaging on you, they're like, okay, look, you committed this crime while you were with me, but I'll have somebody turn it in or I have this video on you. There's a lot of different ways they have the mental hold on people. Um, so for me, it was... How can I get out of this situation the best without doing the, the most damage uh, and, and not dying? Um, so it took me a while to kind of acclimate to, okay, this is where we're going to be. We're not traveling. I found somebody in the club. I feel like I can trust this person. I've told them my situation. I kind of prepped them like, hey, if I go, you know, call you in the middle of the night, would you, is this something you would be able to assist me and like letting me stay at your house for a couple of days? And I found somebody that was willing to do that. So it was like one day when he went out of town, he felt like he could trust me. He left me with his main girl. And normally all of our doors and windows, everything's locked. Everything's nailed shut. Like you can't go in and out of your room without a key. And she didn't lock my door. And she had the key right next to the air mattress that she was sleeping on. So I found the key and I opened the front door and I was already ready. I had hidden the business card and like a couple of dollars for, you know, a phone call and to get somewhere. And I said, hey, it's go time. Can you help me? Came right and picked me up and... I kind of hid low for a couple of days and then went home. What an angel. Yeah. What an angel. And what a like perfect timing as well. Like mm -hmm. with him being gone and, and his main girl just leaving, you know, the door open and the key. You know, to be honest, like Do it was an angel situation. But in the situation he met me, I also feel like he tried to capitalize on that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So and me being so triggered already, I was very cautious and closed up. And I just felt like that person as well was trying to take advantage of the situation I was in, you know, oh, I can offer you a better life, caressing my arm, you know, like you told me I could stay here and avoid everything that I went through, you know, like I'll give you that you did save me from something, but you're not a all white angel right. either, you know. Got it. So, so then he was trying to like come up on, you know, his saving grace <laughs> mm -hmm. use that that hero syndrome maybe i could get lucky and it was just like i'm so traumatized right now why would you even do that like yeah some people don't even care or understand or they're just you know looking out for themselves mm -hmm. so you finally like made it back to orlando that's where you were mm -hmm. and you had lost everything at this point and how, how was it coming back into normal life like civilization like and it was weird because like i had a tight-knit group of friends and like you think you're really really tight with your friends and you're like I want to say let's say I had 50 friends like 10 of them were actually concerned about what happened you know they actually you know I called one of them on the phone I told her look I'm in this situation I'm going to try to get away when I can and she was I was like please don't tell anybody but when I came back it was all like everybody was normal hey you're back I don't know where you went it's cool and like I guess after you go through something traumatic, everything else looks different. You know, everything that I was doing before in life is very trivial. You know, everything was like I had a near death experience, you know, like it, to me, like my whole world had to change. Um, and then it was I was very emotionally fragile. 
you know, and then being in the environment where I lived in a, in a, well, since I lost my place, I went back to my friend's house and she had like the party house, you know, the party house, like yeah. everybody was there all day long, everybody's drinking. So I, you know, tried to drown my sorrows in some alcohol after everything I've been through. And it was like, I was violently throwing up. So I just decided that I wasn't going to drink anymore, I mean, which was probably a better decision because it would have just probably went to a really, really dark side. So it was weird. And I definitely felt alienated in my own circle of friends. Yeah, because you're you're not in the same space anymore. You know, you've gone through so much that this just it, everything's like a little bit meaningless. Mm-hmm. Was it like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. It just you went through all of this. And did you get any help, any therapy? How did you get to where you are today, where you have been able to just calm your yourself in a way that you're not because there's people that go through this and then they don't get any help. They don't do anything for themselves. And then they just stay like this victim and triggered individual that really never got help. Well, so I buried it. Um, like normal people will do. Um, I was just happy to be home. I was embarrassed that it happened to me. I went to the police station. They humiliated me because back in the day there was no sex trafficking. It was, are you sure you weren't drunk? Are you, you know, what were you wearing? So it was just this thing that I felt like I needed to hide from the world because I felt like I did something wrong. And like back then you wear that shame, you know, not the trafficker. And so I just internalized it and kept it like, you know, this is my big secret. Um, after I had my second son, I went to therapy because I was having like some, I moved to closer to the area that he had taken me. So it was almost re-triggering. I thought I saw him everywhere, you know, so I went to therapy for a while and um, she was such a, such a sweet lady. She's like, just bury it. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, her strategy was avoidance, 100%, oh you know. And, and to me, I'm like cringing because that's like the opposite <laughs> of what I do. I'm like, let it out, expose it, but like. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, why are you even worried about it? You got this. Don't worry about it. And then like one session, she was like, what are you even afraid of? Like, look at you. You're great. You're this powerhouse of woman. And I'm like, oh, okay, I am. And I thought for me, that was my moment, my epiphany moment. I had put it behind me. When it wasn't, I had literally buried everything and just created a facade. So I moved to the area. Um, I put it all behind me. I had left him in South Carolina, so but I moved to Miami and I was able to almost recreate myself. The person I was before that situation no longer existed. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I had children. Um, I didn't. I, I was working on a, a stable career, being a role model for me and my kids. And then that was just like my deep, dark secret. And that's when I was telling you that um, I was watching Netflix one day and I was volunteering, you know, at shelters, helping around, but nobody knew my story. They just thought I was this really nice helper. And I was like, man, you know, like I woke up one day, I'm like, I really should be doing more for the cause, especially that the Me Too movement was rolling around. And it was like, like when you see the war lining up and you're like, I could do that, you know, I'm, I'm qualified. And right. then, then I got that little nudge from the universe, like you're more than qualified, <laughs> go do it, you know? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And then that's when I saw a Netflix special and I saw my trafficker after 10 years, 10, 13 years, I saw him on the special. And it was like the biggest tower moment of my life. <laughs> was, was it like a documentary about It was, it was a documentary about traffickers. Okay. Yeah. And they were going through like the list of uh, like really big traffickers that they had taken down recently or in the last you know decade. And they mentioned his name at the beginning. And I kind of like paused it. And like that was a crack in the ice. So I was like, I didn't hear that. And I rewinded it a bunch of times. I'm like, okay, I heard that. Maybe they didn't mean that. 
And then like when I was watching it, like, so after I got away, he kind of like hunted me down because he thought I stole something from him. And so like on the documentary, they showed what he thought I stole. It's a <gasps> custom piece. Wow. And I was like, oh, you know, it was like a, like a very ice cracking. That's it. I fell into the water at that point. And then they showed his face and I had like humongous breakdown every this big facade that I had built up mm -hmm. for myself just came tumbling down and I've spent the last I want to say since 2017 2018 like really working on myself and working on my healing and like come on I found out that while I was living in Miami he took a girl from PT's Right? That's like right That's there. right there. Right there. Like right here. Right there. <laughs> like 10 minutes away from me. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, my sense of security broke. I didn't right. feel safe anymore. So that's when I started building up, you know, more of my tactical training, more of my house security, just, and then it kind of grew into the advocate program that I have now. The more I healed and released, the more I was able to help others. But this is a perfect example of why I don't do avoidance because anything that you don't work through it's going to come out. And sometimes we we dig it so deep that our subconscious just its job is just to protect us that we don't even realize that certain, you know, characteristics or patterns or habits that we have is because we're trying to stay protected, right? So that's happened to me too. It it recently came up for me um when I did ayahuasca in May. I was raped when I was like 20 years old, but because I was like the party girl and I was just like, you know, whatever, I didn't and it was somebody that was known in the circle. I just didn't see it as, you know, being raped. I was just like, it's just something that happened. I was also ashamed. I'm like, you know, of course it's my fault. I'm the one that's out there partying, right? So I buried it like if it wasn't anything. And I didn't think about this for years at all. And even me with all the work that I've done and all of the healing work, that shit was so buried. My After my dad committed suicide, two weeks later... I see him. So I'm like going through the grief with my about my dad. And then I see this guy and I'm just like, and for the first time in my life, I told my best friend and I was just like, that guy raped me. Like, let's get out of here. And she's like, we don't need to be here. Let's go. And I completely blacked out after that. I'm sure that I had, well, I did because they told me that I had like a mental breakdown that I was completely, like my inner child was like screaming. But because I was dealing with the trauma with my dad, I completely buried it again and I was just dealing with that trauma like one trauma at a time <laughs> okay yeah exactly <laughs> and then I never thought about it again and this happened in 2020 when I saw him and then when I, I did ayahuasca like the first night like that's what she wanted me to bring up and I'm like oh shit like you know and then I relived it and it came up and, and it made me realize so many things like like when I say when we we have certain habits and patterns that we try to protect ourselves. So ever since my separation from my husband, I've been focused on just dating women, right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm just going to date women because that's what I want, whatever. Ayahuasca told me the only reason that you've been focused on dating women only since your separation is because you don't want to bring men around your kids because of your own trauma. And I was just like, oh, <laughs> I was not ready for that. And it was just this huge moment that I was just like, man, it's so crazy what our brain will do to protect us. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's my experience when it comes to like, you know, should, and it wasn't like intentionally mean like, I was just like dealing with one thing at a time, yeah, but, but no matter how much work you do, how much you, like, 
we could, we do it. We do it. This literally just happened to me a couple of months ago when I had this like moment that I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize that this is what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you, it, it like gave you a little dose of it. It's like, hey, you got to work on this, you know? So I think like maybe your brain started to process it then. And that's what I like is that, like you said, whatever you don't deal with, is just going to circle back and your, bra- your brain and body were like, not right now. I can't, you know? <laughs> exactly. But at least you're exposed to it. Like when I was doing the documentary Surviving Sex Trafficking, it was like, it was a two, three year process, which, you know, made me so happy because I had never talked about this. So for me to talk about it, like the, the, the nuns, I mean, the monks that work on the documentary, they were like, hey, can you send us a video telling me what happened? Just short, quick video. I must have recorded like 50 videos full of snot bubbles and tears. And I'm like, look, I just can't get it on camera. You know what I mean? And then just being able to take it chunk by chunk was what I was able to deal with because 15 years of building it up, like you said, you this happened to you this many years ago, your brain went in a survival mode. If you were to try to work on that all at once, your brain's just like, I can't do it. Okay. So with them, they allowed me to go through each little process. And each step was like super anxiety driven and it was very hard, but I'm, I'm very grateful that I got the chance to work through this chunk by chunk. Yeah. And, and talking about it helps so much because yeah. every time you talk about it, it's like a release and you get more empowered with yourself and your story. It's like, when you first start talking about it, like you shake, you you're you're like still a little bit ashamed, whatever. But after a while, you're like, no, like this is what happened. Like there's nothing to be ashamed about. This is not on me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy how like victims go around feeling this way, and then the abusers are just like, no, no, no phasing. Like they're not phased at all. Yeah, like the shame isn't on me. The shame is on you. You took advantage of somebody, regardless of what the circumstances were. You took advantage of someone. Like, how in the world did we ever get that mixed up to blame a victim in the first place? Like, well, it happened when you went to the police station. No, it happens. It happens to this day when I bring girls to the police station now to report issues that they've gone through. Like, just the other day, somebody asked the girl. Well, what, like they asked her, had she been drinking? And I was, and she kind of rolled her eyes. I was like, they're typical questions. It's fair. You got to answer it. You know what I mean? They want to know the whole situation. So I do, you know, I, I try to make it as equal as possible. You know what I mean? Give her the right, give him the right. Let's look at the evidence, but don't push one at, or the other right away at the beginning. And she, like she, the detective didn't even bother to come downstairs. She was like on the phone telling the front desk person to ask her this in the middle of the front station. And I'm like, are you serious? We're going to do this right here over via the phone, via third person. So she asked her, what had you been drinking? She said, yes. She said, how many, uh, how many shots? She said a couple of shots. She said, how many shots? She said like two to three. And she asked her, well, what was she drinking? I was like, did you want to know the flavor? Did you want to meet up with her next week to drink? Yeah. Like, and somebody was like, oh, maybe it was a proof tequila or Hennessy. It doesn't matter. She had two to three. That's not a significant number to not remember, you know, like, what happened to her she's telling you she was you know understanding she's cohesive that that should be where it ends that she came down to interview her right in the middle of the station again and i was just blown away i was like how far have we come that we're still doing this it's so crazy to me the only svu that i watch is the special victims unit (laughs) and it's so crazy because during my ayahuasca journey i was like you know because not only did that that trauma come up but also like everything that's happened to me since i was a kid and i was like i just needed an olivia benson in my life like that's all i needed they're like off season right now yeah guys (laughs) i know i I check every time i'm like i don't watch much tv but i live and die by that yeah i have to i've seen every 
episode that's for every single drop her. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're like if you're you're helping women in the sense like you are the Olivia Benson. Yeah, uh, well, I mean <laughs> of the non-police version. Of the of non-police version, but hey, you're a fucking badass. I've seen you with those guns, girl. <laughs> I mean, yes, this, I, like I like shooting and I usually use that more for the security end. You know, God forbid I never have to use it for this end. But with this end, it's much more verbal judo, kind of like a tiptoeing very casually because I have to communicate with the police. You know, I have to, you know, communicate with victims. I have to, when I go to the schools, I have to, I do education. So it's like, I thank God that now they allowed me into school. So now I'm in youth groups. I did an elementary school group and a middle school. And it's like, I have to cater my language to kind of like, I, I, I know how that you is. know, to each group that I'm talking to so that I don't step on anybody's toes. I don't offend anybody. I don't step out of the boundaries of their age group or bracket, but I need everybody to understand the message that I'm trying to deliver, you know, is that some, and, and like, I want to say it baffles me that people don't know this stuff, but I mean, why would you, if you, if you've never been exposed to it, you know, I mean, we watch SVU, but I don't expect everybody to be educated on all of the signs that there are. But for me, it's like, if the if you don't know, that's like saying you didn't know to look both ways before you cross the street. Like, this is important stuff, you right. know? So you, I feel like you got to know it in order to be able to save yourself, save others. But like, yeah, everything's just a verbal, like, tippy-toe game not to offend others or to be able to get my point across the way I need it to. Right. Which is, which is what's important, like getting that message out. <laughs> I want to do ayahuasca. It's awesome. I'm, I'm, I think that I'm at that stage in my healing where I'm ready for it. Just to be honest, like, because I've done a lot of, um, a lot of mushrooms, a lot of psilocybin and it's just, that's my shit. I know. That's why I watch the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I'm not a fan of the nausea feeling. Like if I can get ginger that shots, same, ginger shots. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Ginger shots? You take a shot of ginger, like the before ginger? you could do before your ginger tea. And you take a shot of ginger and your stomach is fine. Why nobody tell me this? Because you haven't talked to me. <laughs> Hello, I got you. Oh <laughs> no more nausea. Oh <laughs> but yeah, I'm really looking forward. Like now that, and then I, I studied, started studying my birth chart. And like yeah. you look into this and it's like, crazy wow, stuff is really real. And then I started implementing it, you know, in any of my interpersonal relationships. I'm like, what time are you born? Let me see how you talk. <laughs> Do that on first dates. I'm stopping. I'm not, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm I trying. need to know how you communicate. <laughs> exactly. Where is your Venus? Right? Where is your Mars? Where is your Mercury? Where is your Mercury? <laughs> so, but, and it's like, it's, it's opening up and I'm like, okay, so that's why I do this the way I do. And it's not a fault of me and it's not a result of my trauma. Like it, it just establishing that difference right better there. understanding. It's literally a blueprint of your life. Right. But plant medicine is amazing. Like I love mushrooms. Like I, like I, it's helped me so much with my healing. Like, obviously I did it when I was younger, like partying, but now with the intention and the spiritual connection that I have, it's just, it's life-changing for me. When ayahuasca, I've done ayahuasca plenty of times. The reason why I hadn't done it, the last time I had done it was before my youngest was born and he's four and a half. So I was putting it off, putting it off because, you know, preparing for it, like I, I done peyote and San Pedro and, and it, the prep for it is not as. You got to do like a raw diet or. It's not even a raw diet. It's just specific foods that you can't eat. And it's not just healthy food because like three days before you can't have like avocado or eggplant. It's just like because the way that, you know, it's in your system, like it reacts, it, it reacts with the medicine. So I'm just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so it's been a while. 
but in April, I took like a social media break. I just wanted to really like tap into myself and no distraction. I, I was very like, I went through some like isolation mode, like a lot of like death and rebirth during that time. And I just wanted, I just wanted a break from like everyone and everything during that time. I was like reading a lot and spending a lot of time. And I'm like, you know, I host retreats for other people and I'm always giving, I want to do a retreat myself. Let me see if I could find something in Florida that's local that, you know, I could go to soon. The first thing that I that I see when I look it up is SoulQuest, the ayahuasca church in Orlando. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, and when the medicine is calling you, it's going to show up. And I'm just like, OK, I hear you. I'm going. So I did it. And it was such a healing experience. It's, it's a three day retreat. Um, you do ayahuasca Friday night and then Saturday night. And then you have the option of doing it Saturday morning as well. Oh. And I'm just really glad I did that Saturday morning one because I wasn't going to. And that. It was the most beautiful experience. I I had that rough Friday night. And um, on Saturday, like I said, I wasn't going to do it. And when I sat down, this girl next to me was like, are you doing the daytime ceremony? It's it's like so like healing. It's where I had it. And I'm just like, oh, fine, I'll do it. And go take my money. I'll freaking do it. <laughs> so then um, when I, I felt a lot better than I did, I released a lot Friday night. So Saturday morning... Um, during the medicine, then that whole, the message for me on Friday night was like, I've never been protected. Like I've never been protected since I was a little, like no one's ever protected. And that's when I was like, I need an Olivia Benson. Right. (laughs) So then the next day, um, it's, it's so crazy because during that ceremony, it came up for me again. Like I've never been protected. Right. And in that moment, I tell myself, I'm like, just remember who you are without any of this stuff happening to you. And I'm like looking down at this point. And then when I look up, this volunteer, no, he's a facilitator. He turns around and his shirt says, remember who you are. And I just started laughing. And I'm like, this is, and I had like front row, like front row, like I was in the front. And I'm like, I started laughing. And as this guy is walking away, he's like, I don't know where the hell he went. This song starts playing. And when I realized the song, it's this song called Remember. And the lyrics are remember who you are. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like dying laughing. Like this is, this is incredible. This is hilarious. So there's a part in that song that she starts singing um, the mantra for Ganesh. And leading up to the, to the ceremony, I was doing the Ganesh mantra every day, the 108 prayer. Like I was called to do it. So in that moment, I'm like singing it, eyes closed. And then I literally hear like Ganesh, I've always protected you. Then I hear like, Yemaya, I've always protected you. And then I feel like, like I get goosebumps talking about it. My spirit guides, my ancestors, an overwhelming feeling of love that I've always been protected in the spiritual world, even though it didn't feel like, you know, physically in this in this 3d world right and it's just like everything that i've gone through it so i am able to help other people maybe they protected you from things that could have been Been worse worse. that was and i was just like so overwhelmed that i was like oh my god just like i'm so glad i did this daytime ceremony (laughs) (laughs) and then there was this guy that he was having like a really hard time that he comes and they sit him in front like in the front and he was having such a hard time. Like he almost went into the cooler cause he was so hot. And at this point, like my journey was already, I was just like waiting for ceremony to be done and I'm looking at him. So I start sending him like healing energy and I'm trying to like help him since I'm not going to get up and go 
be all up in there. But I'm like helping him from afar. And he's like looking at me. I didn't know this guy. I never talked to this guy. But the next day he goes, I sat next to him like at breakfast and he starts telling me, oh my God, that ceremony was so rough. It was so rough. And I go to him. Yeah, I know. I saw you. I mean, I don't know if you could like feel anything, but I was like trying to like send you healing energy and whatever. And he just looks at me like straight over my face and he goes, you know what? Like, I really wanted to thank you because I felt it, but I didn't know if it was real because on the psychedelic medicine, you're just like, is this real or not? And I go, oh, it was very real. So that was really cool that he was able to feel that for me. But that whole weekend, that whole experience was so healing. And I'm just so glad that I did it. So if it's calling you, I think you should do it. I'm going to go. You should do it. You should do it. And I like doing it there. I've done it before. Um, not to say anything you know, negative about, you know, anything anywhere that I've done it, because every single person I've sat with has been legit. They've been amazing. But they do it very differently. The process, you're able to, like, go to sleep at some point and you're able to lay down. I've gone to ceremonies where you're just sitting up all night and, and that's very rough for me. So I recommend going to Soul Cost 100%. It's amazing and everything that has conspired after that like my whole life i'm a completely different person mm -hmm. and it's just i i can't i'm so grateful i'm so grateful <sighs> so if it's calling you definitely definitely go do it oh i like your screen background do you see what it says yes this is remember who you are <laughs> my screensaver says remember who you are yes just to remind myself you know because sometimes it's you got a little so I have some questions for you that, you know, I, I've asked some people that, you know, I know have sexual abuse and trauma. And I, I told them that I was going to have you on the podcast and they, they just asked me some questions to ask you. So the first question is, how has she been able to reconnect to her body in a positive way? So I don't think I began the healing of my actual like my body until I started going through the re-triggering process 10 years later because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't even registered it. I hadn't acknowledged it. I hadn't gave it its proper light to be able to heal from it and move on past it and realize things that I, the walls that I had put up. So I think I started at my head when I was re-triggered, then I had to deal with the emotions that came here and then work my way down. And then I, like I had always done chakra meditations and I was like, oh, you know, it's supposed to make you feel good. So you yeah. sit love down. Love and light, love yeah. and light. <laughs> so you sit down and you do them. But until I started studying, you know, what each one is and realizing, oh, I need to heal my womb. I need to heal my sacral chakra. And I was like, wait, what is a yoni? And then I was like, oh, wait, yoni wands, yoni eggs. I was like. Have you used them? Yes, I literally I have. just had <laughs> Heidi on the podcast um, last week. And, and we were talking about that because she she's a tantra, um, you know, practitioner. So I think I saw that. Yes. So I was like, I gotta watch it's this. It's a great episode. Um, so, I mean, I'm still learning in my journey about it. At first, I was like, those just look like toys. Yeah. <laughs> and then you start to like. I mean, still okay <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the one i got is a uh, opal mm -hmm. so then i started you know looking into what opal is and then i started looking about how to ground my um, root chakra and then work my way up to my sacral chakra and then worked with the yoni eggs and you know and then it's like they're like okay you'll find with your yoni wand you'll find an area of tension and i'm like what are they talking about and they're like you might cry and i'm like what are they talking about and like you really do go through these emotions when you do it with intention you go through these emotions and then you're like 
okay, like intentionally healing my womb. You know, I was taken advantage of. This space was harmed. How do I clear this energy? You know, and I've done all the other clearing of energies, taking back my energy, sending back other people's energy and closing myself off or doing the, the reset under the full moon. Like I have done, you know, all of the work, but it's consistent because every time I move to a different level, it's a different level of trauma. And it's like your brain was like, we weren't ready to handle this, but now let me give you this. Now you can handle that. So it's just been step by step learning how to be patient with myself and seeing that, like you said, the universe is calling you to certain things. So when I needed something the universe provided, I just had to do the actual shadow work of intentionally going, learning these things and being able to use them to release all that stagnant energy, all that hurt. It's a lot. It's a lot. Like I said, like um, during the ayahuasca ceremony, when all of this came up, I literally felt the medicine in my womb clearing that energy. Like I felt the energy being moved and I'm like, oh shit, like this is, this is intense. Like it's intense. So yes, we do hold that energy in our wounds. So that work is amazing. I definitely think you should get into that tantra work. Yeah. I was learning about like, um, the intensity of your cramps are also associated with your traumas. And like, I remember because I used to, I microdose. So, and then I've done like heroic doses and I've done heroic doses, I'm going to say maybe five times now. And I mean like heroic doses, like zero to a hundred. And then like all the other times it was great. I had these beautiful trips. And then on the last one, I have no idea what it was. I really think, cause I did more research and they were saying that you shouldn't do shrooms around the time of your period. It can increase nauseousness and stomach aches. Um, so I never do them <laughs> around my period anymore, but I had like the worst trip ever of my life I was in the bathroom puking I was throwing up but that's purging yes. sometimes you need that. yes but at first in my mind I was like oh my god I just had a bad reaction bad batch bad yeah. batch yeah so and then I was like no that's when I learned you know that these things are caused because of what you're going through and what you're releasing and it was like once you acknowledge what's going on and you learn about it the realization moment is like unreal you're like oh my god you know but you gotta do the work yeah so you mentioned the other question was what tools have you used for healing and finding strength in your journey? So you did mention, you know, like everything you just mentioned now, but it, you also, you know, started working like with self-defense. So can we talk a little bit about that? So I've always been in the martial arts. I've always been an instructor. Um, and so when I do um, my sem- my seminars, I'm able to empower women and kind of take like the short versions, just like simple escape techniques, what you need to do to avert a situation, to get away from a situation, to detach and to move away and to get away. And it's it's something that's very enriching and very helpful. Um, I run little bits of scenarios to kind of pop their mental bubble and show them what's going on. And that's also therapeutic. Like when they when you learn something, they tell you to teach it to somebody else so it applies better. And mm-hmm. like with this, with doing these ceremony, these um, seminars, I feel like. I'm helping them heal because three out of four women have been sexually traumatized in their some point in their life, some way, sexually harassed, something. So it, it empowers them, which helps me heal a little bit. And then just uplifting other people is what helps me heal. You know, I, I get to leave and they have that knowledge of how to protect themselves. Amen to that, because that's that's the work. Mm-hmm. That's the work. You get so much healing from helping others heal. Yeah, because definitely. Sometimes you could doubt yourself, right? Like, am I am I supposed to be doing this? But then there comes this person and they're like, wow, you have helped me so much. And you're just like reassurance. But you know what else? Like, sometimes somebody will tell you a feeling that they've had that you've also had. And you're like, oh, man, 
Like I get it. I get it. And now I heal a little bit more and then we heal together, you yeah. know? So like we help each other repeat. It's true what they say. Like you heal others by healing yourself. When you heal yourself, you help heal others. Like there's people out here that you just want to do healing work, but they don't do the work themselves. And it's like, the fuck are you doing? Like, come the on. Ego. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay, next question. Does the feeling of always feeling less than, insecure, and unworthiness ever really surpass? I guess no matter how much therapy I do, writing, talking, loving myself still hasn't really let me feel completely confident and unable to move past the dirtiness of it. Basically, like if I'm damaged goods. So I think with what helped me move out of my shame mindset was um, NLP. Neuro linguistic and programming, um, and it 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 helps you with your manifestations. But I used it for self realization. Okay, you know this is I went in my mind space, and this is you know who I actually am versus who I see myself as. And then you just start stripping away these things you know that don't belong to you, and then you just add on these things on this side that you do want, and then you step into that light, and then you own that you know, and it's not something that's easy it takes you know consistent like i have sticky notes all around my house i have whiteboards that have notes to myself my phone has a note to me you know it takes that that constant reminder until until it starts to register in your brain and then you'll have those days where your emotions are just all over the place where you have to constantly seek out that reaffirmation you have to keep reaffirming it over and over and over until it sticks and like uh i listened to like a thousand um motivational speakers and one of them is that you I picked up from them is kill the ants so you have to kill the automatic negative thoughts so like as soon as they start to creep into your mind because if not I can go into snowball effect real quick like from zero to a hundred like I that inner bitch is that inner bitch is the worst like what I didn't know I was all that I didn't want to go that dark I stubbed my toe and all of a sudden the whole house has to be redone. Like, what are you talking about? The house is fine. You know, it's just like you take it all on. But at some point when you realize you're going on that soap, you got to stop yourself. And, you know, nobody's perfect, but you shower every day. So you got to keep motivating yourself every day. So what are some signs to watch out for in this day and age for for girls as times have changed, like ways to prevent this from happening? Like, what can you look out? Like, what are the signs so being situationally aware is always the first thing I tell people that they should implement in their day-to-day strategy. Um, it's it's about being open and aware to what could happen around you, about what your safety is, about how you come off visually to other people. Like I tell people all the time not to put bumper stickers on their car, um, you know, not to draw too much attention to themselves. Like when, uh, so I tell girls, you need to, you need to, be aware of the people that are watching you while you're out in the streets. And then they'll be like, okay, so I look them in their eye. I'm like, yeah, but for a second, you know, like you don't want to go off to the other end of the spectrum being overly aware. You just kind of want to make it a part of your daily routine where you're just like looking around, watching those that are watching you and then seeing what your safety looks like or what your security looks like and how to fix that. So everybody goes online. So you have to start where you are the most of the time. Are you doing live check-ins? If you're doing live check-ins as an event where you're secure, then you're going to another event. Are you posting that? Who's watching it? Who's seeing it? You know, there's too much of things that we post on the internet nowadays that people take for granted. And the internet's the main 
avenue for it right now since we've changed they've changed with the times you know they'll watch you online and they can take you in person or they can approach you online so you just have to be careful of the interactions that you're having with people online vet people before you go off to the hang out with them vet people before you take jobs with them um, vet the girls that you're going to hang out with if you don't know and they just mysteriously appear out of nowhere because these these bad guys look like everything you've always wanted you know, they're not going to come to you, you know, tall, dark and strange and in a creepy in an alley. Yeah. You know, they could be the bubbly blonde girl who, you know, lured me out to where somebody else could take me. Right. So I tell people all the time, just don't believe that it can't happen to you. Just keep your eyes open. Be safe. You know, look around when you're walking. Don't walk on your phone. Make sure you have a self-defense tool. Empower yourself. Learn how to shoot. Learn how to fight. But your most important tool is your mind. And it's the the tools that you have in it to roll through. Because a lot of girls will tell me, oh, I feel in danger. I need a gun. And I'm like, what happens when you run out of bullets? Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'll throw the gun at them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> at least you're thinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you have to have, and especially with all the legalities there are in life nowadays, you want to just make sure that from empty hand techniques to being situationally aware to being careful with your information that you let out, that you're just being safe. You're protecting those around you. You have a safety plan in case something goes wrong in your house. You have an accountability partner if you go somewhere you don't know. You know, hey, I'm going to be here and here. Like my mom. My mom travels all over the world. She'll send me like her Uber share. She'll send me her pin drop. You know what I mean? She'll send me her flight information. Good. And like, you know, sometimes I don't do anything with it because she gets off. I, I landed, you know. But as long as you're having somebody that's there because a lot of times traffickers will look for people that are lonely. They'll look for people that are in need of something. It could be money. It could be friends. It could be love. It could be a job. Like whatever it is that you feel like you're lacking, they're studying you to try to fake provide that. That makes sense. I still have enough battery. What are resources that are available to those that have gone through this type of trauma for after the effect of it all? Now that this is a trending topic, there's a lot of nonprofits out. There's a lot of advocate resources that are out there. Um, When you go through the police and go through advocate services, it's kind of hard because they're not as helpful as they should be, uh, be it lack of people, lack of funding, whatever it is. Sometimes you need to go that route for your case, for yourself, and just to get whatever it is that they're offering. Sometimes they offer housing, food, money, resources. Um, So I definitely suggest going through those avenues as much as possible, as much as they can. And then there's nonprofits all around that are willing to help. Um, I direct girls to safe houses, to aftercare resources, clinics, all kind of things. Um, So whatever they need, to be honest, they could just kind of look up in their area. And it's more a matter of who they feel comfortable with. You know what I mean? Because then there are some places, like some nonprofits I've dealt with that are just like, they have a hero complex. Mm. You know, they're not as love and light <laughs> as they'd like to see. Not see. as gentle as they probably should be you based know, on the, the what these victims have gone through. Mm-hmm. So just kind of feeling out where they're comfortable, looking up, doing a little bit of research. And like if they have to go to the library, just look online before making a phone call. And my nonprofit liberation team is, you know, always around to help. Um, the last question I got was like how to overcome in future relationships um, with that kind of past. So I don't know. So relationships are not easy after sexual trauma and in any way, shape or form. We always take it, internalize it, and it becomes something in our character. And until we start doing the shadow work, we don't realize that was because of what happened to us. But I've recently been doing a lot of that work and it's 
it's interesting. It puts a lot of distance between me and the people that are trying to bond with me. They always tell me I'm very closed off. They always tell me, you know, oh, you've got a lot of triggers. And, you know, they don't mean it. And I'm like, I have a lot of what? <laughs> you know, like, they, but it's it's something that you and only you are going to understand. But since you're on, the only one that's going to understand it, you have to be honest and open with your communication. Like, look, I'm going through these triggers. You know, these are the triggers that I'm working on right now. I just need you to respect them. Because I've dealt with one situation where the guy was like, that shouldn't even bother you. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Who are you to tell yeah. me what should bother exactly. me? You know, so you have to find somebody that's patient, somebody that's understanding, something that's motiv somebody motivating, you know, um, and then just respect your own boundaries. You know, don't let anybody pressure you into feeling something or doing something like in the middle of it. If they do something to re-trigger you and you don't want to anymore, that's it. You don't want to anymore. And they need to understand that's it. It's game over. Right. And it takes a lot of work to to meet these people and have tough conversations, you know, and let them know like what you've gone through and where you're at in order for the person to be able to meet you there. Right. Because some people like they, they try to be dismissive, like, oh, that shouldn't even bother you. But like, you don't understand. Right. Like this, this significant thing to you, it's a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, conscious relationships are very difficult. They're very hard. And people sometimes see like certain couples that they're together and they're making it work. And it's just they don't know the hard work that it takes to really get there. And a lot of it is having tough conversations. Like that's like I think the biggest thing. It's it's having tough conversations, but also making sure that the person that you're having the conversation with is very receptive. Right. Because once you have that tough conversation, I don't I don't necessarily want to have that conversation again. If right. I tell you my wrists are a trigger and you continue to grab my wrist, then you don't have respect for what right. I'm going through, my feelings, none of that. And then this needs to stop because I need my healing is more important than your gratification. Right. You know, so you have to prioritize your own healing because if not it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And if they're not understanding of that, it's never going to work. Right. Yeah. It needs to be somebody that's, that sees you, that sees you for all you are. Somebody that sees you the good, the bad, the ugly, especially the ugly, because it's like in relationships is where we heal the most because no one's going to trigger us more than the person that we're with. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's she going with that? Yeah, that makes yes. sense. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to trigger us more than the person that we're with, but that's okay because it's like right now you're making me feel this type of way this is what I need from you. And instead of being like, oh, you're always so dramatic and you're always this, the person will be like, you know, you're right. Like, what can I do to support you and make you feel better? Yeah, that would be the ideal relationship. Yeah, that is the goal. That's the only type of relationship Facts. I want to have. <laughs> I will stay single for as long as I need to if um, it's not that. Mm -hmm. I'm hard enough on the, I'm hard enough on myself. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing too. Like you seem like such a hard, like tough person, right? Like you know, you got this, and and you're so strong. I'm the same way. So people see me the same way, and people don't understand. Like they forget to ask you, like, so how are you doing? So what do you need? Right? Like you got this. You've always, we need we need that too, right? Mm -hmm. So whoever ends up with us does need to be able to give us that safe space in order for us to be able to be seen and be vulnerable and be able to allow ourselves to not be triggered all the time and to f like get our nervous system back as a regulated nervous system. And that's hard too, especially like if you're talking about during intimacy when they're re-triggering you. Like then that's where that tantric work would come into play mm -hmm. where they'd have to just be 
you know, really understanding, like, do the start with the eye gaze right there, you know, mm-hmm. and that's when you're really going to realize if the person's down for you or not. Exactly. You know, somebody who's not into your healing is going to be like, you want to eye gaze? Yeah. Or they'll start laughing mm-hmm. and they're just like looking away and you're just like, yeah, you need to go look somewhere else. <laughs> you need to go gaze somewhere else. You don't want to gaze and make Get your ass out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. so you just got to put yourself forward and first. And then when you find that person, just make sure you're mutually respectable to them in their of space. Of course, you can't receive and not give just as much. So you do have a documentary out. It's called Surviving Sex Trafficking. It's on Prime and Apple TV. Is it anywhere else? Because that's the only two places I found iTunes it. iTunes and Vimeo. Okay. Vimeo, iTunes, and Amazon Prime. Yeah, I saw it and, and I got emotional and everything when I saw you. Like, just saw you. I'm just like, oh, you're so amazing. Like, you're doing such great work. Like, you've gone through so much. And I see in some moments, I saw this. How you recorded, I'm sure you said three years ago. It's been like a three year. Like, I could see the transition, right? I could see like the, like how much pain you were in in some of the parts. And, just seeing how you are now, I'm, I get goosebumps talking about it, but it's a beautiful thing to see, to see how far you've come since when you recorded that documentary. It's been light years. Like I made a big change when I got home. I changed my whole life around and it's like I completely broke and shattered every facade that I had built up over the years. Like I'm still me and I still have these characteristics that I've had all these years and I'm still the work that I did for all these years but you know this is what I was meant to do and this is the point that I was meant to do it and it just it feels different it feels very motivating and like being a part of the documentary helped me heal so much because like I said she let me take it in bite-sized pieces and then they were actually the ones that were like you should start a nonprofit. And I was like, I should start a nonprofit <laughs> because I was trying to seek out help from all these nonprofits and I just did not like the reaction I was getting from any of them. And I mentioned to them, like, I don't like this, you know, and she was like, then be the you change you want, you know? Exactly. And I was like, right, yeah. I'll do that. You Done. Know? Yeah. Done. <laughs> and they've been so motivating and it just, everybody's been so motivating and so helpful and so encouraging. And I think that that gives me a different attitude about what I'm doing as well. You know, I'm not necessarily just fighting uphill. Like it's always hard you know like we talked about being shadow banned there are always going to be those people out there but the good and the bad separate themselves and it feels really good well i'm really proud of you and you're doing amazing and you're helping so many people and this is only like this is nothing compared to what this is going to become like you know this right like you feel it i'm hoping you you feel it you know this (laughs) you know this so um so let everybody know where they could find you so instagram is liberation team us and um, the Instagram, the website is liberationteam.org. Um, we also have a domestic violence division that we just opened. Uh, a lot of our cases that came across were very fine line with domestic violence. And we have a, I have a couple of close friends that I kind of helped through their traumatic issues, you know, um, and they wanted to be that platform. They wanted to heal through helping. So we opened that avenue as well. So if there's domestic violence, sex trauma, or they even just have questions, they're not sure what happened to them, they can reach out via DM, they can reach out, you know, however they need. And then there's always somebody that's going to be able to answer and help them. My Instagram is hustle queen. Yes. <laughs> no underscores, no numbers, no nothing. Make sure you type it all out because I'm shadow banned. Hustle yeah, queen. see if you find her. <laughs> and that, it's H-U-S-T-L-E. Everybody starts looking at their H-U-S-S-L-E. I'm hustle? Like, hustle. Oh, I'm like slang. Oh, yeah. I'm like, come on, y'all. <laughs> English. <laughs> right? No, it's just original hustle queen. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on here. It's been such an honor to have you because this is such an important topic and 
it's something that's very close to my heart. And it's, it's important to me to go to all these different platforms because like we have different followings. Like we may have some that cross over, but we definitely have different audiences and you have this whole, I'm healing, you know, but I'm real because your podcast and, you know, it's not all of light. And I feel like the following that you have kind of mirrors you almost. And that's who I need to carry that message, you know? And, and I have a lot of my clients and a lot of people that I know that have, you know, I only reached out to like three people and those were just the questions that I got. If I, if I would have posted about this, I'm sure it would have been a lot more. We would have been here like three hours, <laughs> you know, but it, it is, it's very, it's very common. Like you said, three out of four, right? So pay it forward the information, just pay it forward. Tell somebody else. Exactly. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today. And remember guys, it's not all living like.